I'm going to get with CB. What we need to do is have, I'm going to make him an amen tape. That way when I say he can play amen or hallelujah, whatever it may be. That, can you fix one of those up, CB? Can't ever get any cooperation out of them. Except when we don't want it, that's a <laughs> anyway. Last week we got to go up to Bonham, Texas, where we had uh, pastored a church for about eleven years, twelve, yeah, eleven years, and it just got to go back to homecoming. They had asked us to preach and to sing, but I don't think they'll be asking us back to sing anymore after what happened up there last week. But anyway, it's it's one of those music, you know, sound people's faults. What it was it wasn't our fault; it's their fault. So it just, but anyway, but it's good to be back. We missed you, but. I ask you to turn with me today for with Philipp, to Philippians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. I want to address something called God's people in an ungodly world. We live in a pretty ungodly world today, but yet we're still God's people. And we're expected to live in godly fashions, no matter what's going on around us. And I know there's a bunch of chaos and a bunch of craziness and everything else going on, but God still expects His people, you and I, I believe most of you here are God's people, expects us to live in a godly way. But not only that, he wants this church to be a godly example here in this community. Our job, our commission as a church and as individuals is to reach people for Jesus Christ. Now, I know that not too many people are doing that anymore, sadly to say. But I want to show you today what Paul says about it and how it applies to our lives. If you will, turn to Philippians chapter 1, verse 8 through 11. I'm going to ask you would to stand with me as we read this passage together. And listen to what he's saying. This is Paul speaking to us. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let me stop just for a second before we have our prayer, because I want you to know something. Now, you know, a lot of people, in case you haven't heard this, think that Paul was from Texas. Twice in that passage, he mentions you all. So there's a good argument for it. But anyway, that's, that's another story. But let's think about what's just been said in this passage. Four things he told us that are very important we're going to look at. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this day you've given us. And, Lord, thank you for bringing us back home and just, Lord, to, to back this place that we love so much. And, Lord, we thank you for the time we got to go spend with old friends. But, Lord, it's good to be home. And, Lord, I just pray that you would just open our hearts this morning, Lord, that these wouldn't be my words, but these would be your words that you speak to us. That, Lord, you would open our eyes to see what kind of a church we're to be, what kind of people we're to be. And, Lord, that we would take seriously the call you put upon our lives, each one of us, the call to be Christians in an ungodly world. Go with us through these next few minutes. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. There's no doubt about it. Now, Paul was a missionary. Everybody in this room knows that. But Paul had a true pastor's heart. In fact, I wish I had the heart that Paul has for the church. Paul was not a... Can you put something over his mouth? Control him. Isn't it fun being in church? I mean, where else else can you be heckled in a church service? I mean, not not too many of them, but anyway. It's good to be home. Even with that part of it, we have fun around here. And so, but... 
Paul had a pastor's heart. Even though he never pastored a church, Paul had a pastor's heart. Paul would go into places. He'd stay a while in a certain place. He'd build a church there. And then he'd go on to another task, do the same thing. That was his calling. He was a missionary. He was a missionary with building churches, what he wanted to do, planting churches. And by the way, we're all called to do the very same thing. You say, well, no, God's never called me to build a church. No, but he's called you to plant the seed so somebody else can build the church around it. Every one of us are called to be missionaries in that sense of the word. Every single one of us are called to be that. But he never forgot the churches he had left in those places. Now, he wasn't there long in some cases. He'd come in. He'd get the church started. He'd start doing good. He'd move on to another one. But he never stopped remembering them, number one, in his prayers, but also in his heart. He loved each of those churches. We thank you for the opportunity last week that we got to go up to a church. Again, we spent 11 years there and had some dear friends, still have some dear friends. Sad part to say is a lot of them are not there anymore because age has taken them. But it still, it was good to see people, and it just brought back so many memories. Now, it wasn't a perfect church by any means, so don't worry about it. I hadn't found one that is yet, for that matter. But it was some good friends. We made good friends those 11 years. And just it was a great time to see them. But yet at the same time, I couldn't help but think, man, I wish, back, I, wish I was back at RABC. It just, I wanted to get home. Now, let me share with a story. Most of you have probably heard that Judy had an accident last week. I think it was for attention, but that's, that's another story. But anyway, we were sta- these couple that we know real well knew their family, and they, they've been very successful in life and has a nice, beautiful home on the lakefront, and they've built a, what I call a guest house. It's just up over the garage and so forth. And So they said, y'all come stay with us. You don't have to stay in a motel. So we did. And first thing Judy looked at said, uh-oh, there's stairs. I'm not sure I can climb it. But I want you to know she did real good going up the stairs. But it's when she got on the flat floor that she fell. I mean, she climbed the stairs without any problem. Got on the flat, smooth, nothing in the floor, nothing. And all of a sudden, face first. But it, uh, but she had a little, she's got a banged up knee, and she had a big knot on her eye. I did not do it, I promise you. But it just, uh, it just, we had that happen. So Sunday morning, I had to stop and get her cane so she'd walk into the church. And we we did sing a, that song, and then we also, I preached and so forth, and Right after church, she was hurting so bad, and so we went over to Sherman, which is about 30 miles away, and was going to go to the one, one of those ER, emergency ER rooms or whatever you call it, I'm not sure. Anyway, so we checked in everything, and they wouldn't take our insurance. And so we decided, well, we might better go back so we can go to the doctor on Monday morning. So we came back that night, got home about 9.30, and it just, uh, from bottom, and just drove back and so was sort of left in a hurry. Anyway, got all the way back home, and, and then uh, the next morning we went and took it, and they, one of the ladies said it could be, it could be cracked. I mean, the kneecap could be cracked because it was swollen up pretty bad and hurt real bad and so forth. But anyway, we got back and went to the doctor, and it was not. It was just bruised badly. And he said, just wear a brace for a few weeks. And you notice this morning she's not doing what the doctor said. And just I just wanted to bring that out to you. But anyway, but it, it was a great visit all in all. But, yeah, that did happen. But she's all right. She just wanted some attention. That's all it was. But anyway. We're glad to be back this morning. Paul says, in this passage we just read, he says, I'm writing to the church at Philippi, and he tells them there's, that he's praying for them first and foremost. But he says, I'm praying for four things to happen to them. Now, you may not have caught that, but let's go through them and see. I believe that these four things 
are things that we need here at Robertson Avenue Baptist Church just as much as this church that Paul's talking to did. He wants their love to abound more and more, he says. Number two, he wants them to approve of things that are excellent, he said. Number three, he wants them to serve God with sincerity. And number four, he wants them to be filled with the fruits of righteousness. Now, that's four things we need at our church. As far as that goes, any church needs those four things. As Paul thought of these churches, let's think of our church this morning. Robertson Avenue Baptist Church and its needs. Now, you all know we've got, we're not a perfect church by any stretch of the imagination. We're not a wealthy church by any stretch of the imagination. But I believe, and if I didn't believe this, I promise you I wouldn't be here, that God's people here at Robertson Avenue Baptist Church want this church to be a church that God approves. That God says, there's one of my churches. That doesn't mean we'll ever be 5,000 strong or anything. We may not be meant to be that way. But God wants us to be the church that we can be in His will. And God lays out some things here that we can see that what can this church be? And then it requires each one of us beginning to say, I'm going to pray for something. In fact, let me tell you something. Just the other day, I was talking to Miss Cynthia. There she is back in the back over the office. And she had mentioned something. And it seems like I remember this a little bit when I first got here. But I really had forgot it, I guess, that when y'all were calling a pastor, and maybe that's why y'all quit it because what y'all got, <laughs> maybe you want to redo it and do something else. But anyway, he, she said, while we were in the process of calling a pastor, every day, every day there would be people at this church praying for that purpose. Now, I wasn't here. I don't know if that happened or not. I rem- seems like I remember y'all doing it right after we got here, and I, I, don't, I don't quite remember. I know we had a prayer group that met over the office, and I don't remember the situation, the circumstances behind it, but she said that during the course of time when y'all began to call a pastor, there was prayer meeting going on. I want to do that again. Our church needs prayer. Our church needs a lot of prayer. Not that other churches don't too, but I'm just saying we need it. And I don't know exactly how y'all did it, but I want to find out. Now, Cynthia, fill me on some of the details. And what I want to do within the, within the next few weeks is to put a list out there. And maybe you can't come at 6 o'clock on Wednesday nights, but you can come at 9 o'clock on Tuesday mornings or whatever it may be. And for people to sign up and say, I will pray for the church. It can be more than one. It can be ten people come together. It doesn't matter how we do it. I believe we need to start bathing this church in prayer and watch what God does when we begin to get serious about praying. And so we're going to start that. Now, again, I don't know how you did it. I'm going to be asking some of you. And so if you, if you know and how it's going, Miss Judy filled me in on some of it. And so, but seems like, now I may be wrong, but seems like I remember you all doing it or we doing it as a church when I first got here. And somehow, I guess, like I say, what you all got, you all decided to quit praying. that We don't need another one of those. I don't know. But anyway, we're going to start that. And if you would like to be a part of it. First of all, let somebody know. Let myself or Cynthia or uh, somebody know that we can put your name down. And we'll hopefully next week, within the next two weeks, we're going to have a list out. I'll do it. The best time for me will be at 9 o'clock on Thursday morning or whatever day it is. It can be at 9 o'clock at night if you want to. But what I'm saying is we'll, put, we'll fix a place, whether it's over the office or whether it's here, that you can come in a safe environment and pray. I believe we need prayer in our church, more and more of it. Anyway, I don't know how I got off of that, but let's move along. The Philippian church lived in a godless generation, and so do we. 
I don't care what we say. President Obama was right about one thing for sure, and other things too, but just I know he's right about this. And people got upset when he made the comment a few years ago, America is no longer a God-fearing nation. Folks, he's right. We're not. And we're getting farther and farther away from God on a daily basis. And I don't, I don't blame that on President Obama or any Republicans or Democrats or anything else. You know whose fault that is? Christians. We have quit doing what God challenged us to do. If my people will humble themselves and pray, I will heal their land, it says. And we as Christians have forsaken, is the only word I can think of, doing the duty that God told us to do for the churches, for our nation. And we blame all the Republicans. We blame the Democrats. We blame the, blame the Independents and all these others. And, yeah, they've made some mistakes. But it still falls on our shoulder because we're the church. I believe we need to start praying like we've never prayed before. Because what this nation is facing over the next few years scares me to death. And I've got grandkids growing up in this. And I don't want them to see what I'm afraid is going to happen if they don't. Be in prayer about it. If you'd like to be a part of that, please let us know. And we'll, anytime you want, we'll have it open for you. As Paul followed these churches, again, let's think of Robertson Avenue Baptist Church. Just like us, they lived in a godless generation. And its needs came to light. There are thousands of unsaved people around us, people who are living without God in any, without any hope of anything if the church doesn't stand up. Then we must also admit that the average church member is not his best for Christ or her best. Let me say that again. We must admit that most of us, present company included, are not living at our best for Christ. And that ought to shake us to our foundation. Now, let's go a little farther. We're not living our best. His Christianity makes, a little, makes little impression on the outside world. Like the lost man, he lives as if there were no God at all. And we all know some Christians that could be described that way at all, that completely that many people that name the name of Christ, call themselves Christians, are living so far away from God, it would scare us if we really knew. Paul wanted the Philippian church to make an impression for Christ on a godless generation. I believe, again, we want our church to make an impression for God. You say, but we're just a small congregation. Yeah, and David was just a small boy, and look what God did through him. God can do anything he wants to. I don't know what God wants for this church, but I guarantee you this. God wants it to grow and be reproducing other Christians on a regular basis. God wants us to live faithful, quality lives, Christian lives, that make a difference in this world. That I can promise you. So with that in mind, let's look at five vital things that we need in order to effectively influence the world. You say, wait a minute, we can't influence the world. We're just a small congregation. Don't kid yourself. We can influence anything God wants us to. Number one, we need to live consecrated Christian lives. Every single one of us. The mere fact that our names are on a church roll somewhere 
does not impress people out here in these streets. You can walk up to anybody in the street and say, I'm a Baptist. I'm a member of Robertson Avenue Baptist Church. And they'd, well, they'd, I'd hate to hear what they really say, but they might say something like, big deal. Because that doesn't impress anybody. That doesn't impress anybody. Just because your name's on the church roll does not make a difference. They must see that we are different, that something has happened within us, that something has changed us. They've got to see that. In the New Testament days, I like the way the uh, book of Acts puts this, the people took note of the believers, and all it said was that they had been with Jesus. Now, let me ask you, don't, don't answer this out loud because I don't want to embarrass you by any means. Can you say this morning that people know there's a difference in your life, not by what you say, but they just know that you've been with Jesus? I thought so, and I'm in the same category. Don't worry. You see what I'm saying? We need to be more consecrated, more consecrated Christian lives. We need to live that way, that when we walk out, people just see Jesus exuding from us. That doesn't mean you've got to take your 10-pound Bible and hit over the head with it. That everywhere you go, they just know there's something different about that man, that woman, that teenager. There's something different about them. What is it? And I believe that just as Jesus said himself, if I be lifted up, I will draw men unto you. If we begin to live that way, we don't have to worry about going out and telling them because they all begin to find what's going on in that church. And they'll begin to see yours and my lives. And they say, I want whatever that is they've got. And folks, I hope it's nothing but Jesus because we don't need any of the gimmicks. We tried those. They don't work. Let's try Jesus now. Let's move on. They had been with Jesus. Why did they notice that? What was about them they noticed that? Because those people were different. Their lives were different from other people. All of a sudden, now remember, this is their neighbors. Some of these people they've known all their lives, perhaps. And all of a sudden, they've changed. Well, he doesn't talk the same way he doesn't. He doesn't use the language he used to use. He don't go the same places he used to go. He's not unfaithful to his wife anymore. And on and on we could go. There's something different about him. What is it? And somebody said, well, all I know is they've been with Jesus. Oh, what a change Jesus brings. As I've said a hundred times, and I'm going to say a thousand more if I get to stay here long enough. If there's been no change in your salvation, something's wrong with your salvation. If there's been no change in your life, something's wrong. Don't push the door closed on it. Do something about it. There's something wrong in your salvation. If we expect to impress the world, our conversion must have been the real thing that changes us and makes us better people. People can see it. They can see it in our attitudes. They can see it in our faces. They can see it in the way we act, the places we go, the things we do, everywhere. You can go to Walmart, and people will see the difference in you. What changed about him or her? They've been with Jesus. Now, let me throw this in. This is not always an instantaneous change. Sometimes a gradual change begins with conversion and increases in power from day to day to day. Every day you spend with Jesus, it begins to show a little bit more. It takes time. It's not something just overnight. Now, some of us had one of those great testimonies where my life changed. My life was like that. It changed radically. But let me share, you something, share with you something. It took me a long time to begin to see what I should be. Yes, my life might have changed overnight in the twinkling of an eye because I met Jesus. But 
it still took time to begin to grow and say, oh, that's what Jesus wants me to do. Here's where he wants me to serve. Sometimes a gradual change begins with conversion and increases in power day by day. We call that growing in grace. It's brought about by prayer, by study of God's Word, by faithfulness to Christian duty, by attending church, being a part of the church, volunteering in the church, and being a part of it, and seeing and watching other Christians grow, and watching yourself beginning, whether you know it or not, all of a sudden, oh, I'm growing too. Look back and we can see where we are. They're not any better or stronger Christians than they were. Many people are like that. They're not growing in grace. They're not any better today than they were 10 years ago. And there may be some like that. Then something's wrong in your life, folks. Either you're not applying it the right way or you've never met Jesus. Well, I don't like you saying that. Well, I'm sorry. But if your life don't change, you're not one of God's. He said, not me. Your life is going to change. Now, it doesn't have to change dramatically, but as you begin to grow, there are people in this room that grew up in a Christian church, in a Christian home, in a Christian church, and their life when they got saved didn't change much. They never stopped going to church. And so those people are here too. But if you're like I was, you didn't go to church, and when it happened, it was a big change in my life. I went back to my baseball buddies and told them, man, I got saved last night, and they, I thought I had bad breath. They all just sort of disappeared from me. They didn't want to hear it. And I figured out before too long that a lot of people don't want to hear about Jesus. And that's a problem. Let's move on. There's also people that have been saved, but that's all. They've never grown in grace. They've never influenced others for Christ. They've never learned the joy of true service in the church. They've never known the thrill of a daily walk with Christ. They've never shown appreciation for Christ in their lives. They will come to the end of the way, and when they stand before Him one of these days in glory, just imagine what they'd be able to say. They won't be able to say that they have done one thing for the one who did everything for them. They may be saved in the truest sense of the word, but they will have nothing to lay at His feet because they never did anything. That scares me worse than anything I can think of outside of going to hell. Jesus Christ died for me personally. He gave his life for me. I don't want to get up there with nothing to lay at his feet and say, thank you for what you've done for me. Jesus Christ died for each and every one of us. And so many Christian people, Baptist people, Methodist people, Church of Christ people, they may be saved, but they've got nothing to show for it. I hope you're not one of those. Let me ask you for just a moment. I want to ask you to think of yourself. What kind of a Christian are you? Are you that kind of Christian? If you are, I plead with you right now to turn from that such life. Resolve that from now on, that you're going to be a Christian that lives for Jesus Christ. Just imagine what difference that would make in this church. Nobody else talked about it. This church. If everyone in this room would make a commitment, I am going, starting today, going to live my life for Jesus Christ completely. Everything else takes a second place. I'm going to be the Christian that God wants me to do. Can you imagine what would happen to this church in a short period of time? 
in Acts. In one day, they had 5,000 people join. In another day, they had 7,000. You get a room full of Christians that really act like Christians and watch that happen again. Oh, that can't happen again. That's back in Bible days. Oh, but it could. It could still happen. The second thing we need to see, we need the power from a deeper devotional life. I'm afraid that the only time some church members, I'll use that word loosely, hear a verse of Scripture is when they hear it read from the pulpit or Sunday school class. And then they let hours and even days go by without prayer. But listen, we can never have any power to influence anyone else for Christ unless we spend some time alone with God. You can't do it. If you don't spend time alone with God praying, you'll never have any influence over anybody. Well, you don't know my situation. No, but I know what God said, and he's the one that said that. You can't have any power outside of God. You have no power outside of God. The day should begin with prayer. As we wake up and think about the day ahead, we should pray. As we sit down to our meals, we should lift our hearts and be thankful in thankfulness to God. As we go to work, we should pray that God would help us in our work. As we go to that God would help us in the work and every contact we make. As we face decisions of the day, we should pray for wisdom that God will give us the right decision. As we retire for the night, we should thank God for the blessings of the day and ask forgiveness for all the little sins that we committed. Every single day. Ask God to forgive us of our sins that we've committed through the day. You say, well, I, I usually don't commit sins. Oh, yeah, we do. Every one of us do. I probably have to pray more times during the day than anyone in this room. It may be a thought. It may be anger. It may be my quick temper flies off the handle. Some, it could be, I mean, I've lost count of how many different ones I've got. But every one of us have to be praying about it on a regular basis. You see what I'm talking about? God wants to use us in when we're powerful. But when sins come in our lives and we don't ask forgiveness, we have no power anymore. We've lost that power. Remember the words of an old song we used to sing? Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. How true that old verse is. We need to sing that sometimes. I still love the old, I, I know I'm old, so just bear with me, but I still like those old, I like the contemporary ones too, but I like some of the old messages, those prayer, old prayerful songs like that say. Listen to that again. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. It's been said that Martin Luther often spent from four to six hours in prayer some days. The busier he was, the more time he spent in prayer. We should be ashamed that we spend so little time in prayer. As I think back over the years of how God has blessed me and my family, I want to share with you this morning, I'm ashamed that I didn't spend more time in prayer than I did. I'm ashamed of it. Because many days, well, I'm a pastor of a church. I'm busy. I can't stop for this. I'm just, okay, God, you know my needs. Bless them. And that would be my prayers that go down the street. That's not prayer, folks. 
we need to stop and get serious about prayer. Every single one of us. Jesus said that men ought always to pray and to not faint. Paul said in another way. Paul says pray without ceasing. Now, I wouldn't advise you to do that on 190 going to work. Don't close your eyes and pray. But pray with a mentality that God hears me. You don't have to close your eyes to pray. Be awake. Watch those cars around, especially on 190. That's a crazy place. That's almost like riding a roller coaster. But you know what God's saying? We ought to always pray. Every one of us. No matter what situation we're in. In every church, there are also members who never attend church, who never give a dime to the work of the church, who ignore the church year after year after year. But if you were to find them on the street corner, oh, yes, I'm a member of Robertson Avenue Baptist Church. Oh, really? If they walked in, most of us wouldn't know them. And we've got members like that on our roads. I guarantee you, and I've not looked for anybody, but I guarantee you we do. Don't be one of those. Don't let it happen. What would happen if those people fell on their knees and began to pray every day? I think the first thing would happen, they would begin to see themselves the way God sees them. And it might not be a pretty picture. They would confess their sins and find their way back to God's house. Because if you love God, you're going to love God's house. Jesus said that I didn't. You're going to love it. If you love God, that's what prayer would do for them. But they continue in their own past. They have absolutely no spiritual power, nor do they have any influence over anybody, even their own families most of the time, because they're not setting the example they need to set. God's people live in a godless world. Evil is all around us. But we have two great things that can help us every day, every hour, every minute. And you probably don't even think about them. We have the open Bible through which God speaks to us, right? But also, we have the privilege of prayer where we get to talk to God. Now, think about that for just a moment. Me, you, everyday common people, sin all over us. I mean, just we're just, just as dirty as we can be probably. But God gives us the ability to speak to Him. We can call his name. And God says, yeah, Norm, what do you want? We don't believe that really. Or otherwise, we'd do it more often. But God says we have the power through the open word of God to read his word and speak to us. But yet then we have the privilege that we can go to God and talk to him. The God that created this universe. The God that could snap his fingers and everything would be gone if he wanted to. We have that power because Jesus Christ gave it to us. And we abuse it and disuse it in all the other ways we do it. Through these two things, we have power to influence others for Christ. It was brought to my attention again, just like I said a while ago about the prayer time. And just the other day, I believe it was last Wednesday, wasn't it? When were we talking? Cynthia came back to my office and she said, I, need, I don't talk to you about something. And she told me about that. And and again, seems like I remember it when we first got here or something. To, I, I never was part of it, I don't think. But anyway, it just, in fact, Brother Bill was the one that was doing it, if I'm correct, wasn't he? Wasn't he the leading of it, leader of it? 
Uh, anyway, it just it doesn't matter who it was. But y'all probably remember better than I do anyway. But can you imagine if we begin to pray every day of the week? It may be two people that day. It may be ten the next day. It may be one the next day. But if we begin to pray on a regular basis, I get excited just thinking about what God would do in our midst. Think about that, please. And we'll, you'll be hearing more about it as we go on. The third thing we see real quick, we need the right concept of a New Testament church. What? What are you talking about? You know what the definition basically is of a New Testament church? It's founded upon Jesus Christ. Now, I know that some of you were here when this church was built, and some people, I've heard people say, well, this is my church. My daddy built this church. This is my church. No, sir. No, ma'am, it's not. You may have been very instrumental in it, true, but this is God's church. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's not ours. We call that, and we mean well by calling that, but this is God's church. And we ought to be ashamed sometimes of the way we treat the God of this church. God's blessed us. We're not a wealthy church by any means, and I'm not trying to say that. Look around at this place. In the last year and a half, for some of y'all that was gone for a while and come back, wow, it's different. God blessed us, and God will continue to bless if we will start serving the capacity that we're supposed to serve. Are we willing to do that? We need the right concept of the church. That great need in our churches today is to study God's Word and then apply the teachings of His Word to our lives during the week. We've got good Sunday school teachers around here. I've heard people outside this church that visit. Well, y'all got some good Sunday school teachers. I mean, even Brother Bud, they said that. I'm kidding you, Brother Bud. But... <laughs> But we do. We've got some good teachers in this class, in this room, in this church. And they do the best they can do. And we need to soak it in and learn from them. And many others, we have that. On that note real quick, let me tell you something we're going to start up here for too long. Probably the first Wednesday of, uh, of uh, September, we're going to start a study of Revelations. We've come to the end of the book of Ruth, and we've, we've been talking on the other night about what we want to do. And somebody said, well, let's look at Revelation. Now, I say the first Wednesday of September because it's going to take me that long to get the first lesson, let alone the rest of them. But it's, we're going to start the book of Revelation. And we want to meet not in here, but in the fellowship hall. We're going to just make it a casual, very coats, coffee, things like that. And so we want you to participate in it. Our Wednesday night crowd has been pitiful. Is that easy to say, Miss Judy? <laughs> There's been days when we had five in here. Now, I know summer's a busy time. I know it's hot outside and all the things. But, folks, that's almost embarrassing. Now, probably the worst part is a teacher. So we might have to change that. But we want to start the book of Revelation and see what God says to us. A lot of people are scared of the book of Revelation because oh, I don't understand all those symbols and things. First of all, keep in mind, the first part of Revelation says it's all about Jesus Christ. That's all you need to know. Everything else will fall in place. Don't worry about all the symbolisms and things. That's just things to understand it. But we're going to start the book of Revelation. We want everyone that can to be part of it. Starting that probably the first Sunday of uh, September. I didn't mean to get I'm sorry? First Wednesday, yes, I'm sorry. <clears throat> when we have the right concept of the church, 
then we'll begin to love the church just as Christ loved the church. You know why Christ died? He died for the church. Not this building. He died for the church, the true Christians. We will line up with the church. We'll give our best service to the church. We will be faithful to the church. If we love the church, we will love His church. If we love the Lord, we'll love His church. And the world will know where we stand. And then our lives will begin to make an influence on other people. The fourth thing we see real quick. We need to renew our missionary efforts, our missionary zeal. Our missionaries come home from the foreign fields, and their hearts are heavy. They see us with our beautiful buildings, fine equipment that we have. And yet we make so little of a difference in the world. And they come from sometimes just almost nothing to work with. And yet the gospel is spreading like wildfire in some places. Uh, two weeks ago tomorrow night, Gary and Ann Labor asked us to come over for dinner. And by the way, just show up one night. They both cook good. And so just, just they'll, they'll have plenty, but... Y'all know they returned as missionaries not too long ago, and they're fixing to leave next, this coming week, isn't it, Brother Gary? They're leaving. They're leaving on a two-month going to churches that support them around the country. I believe they're going up in Utah and that area and up there, but to visit churches that give them support to, so they can stay on the mission field. But as we were talking that Wednesday night, after, uh, that Monday night after dinner, and, and they do, both of them cook real good. But anyway, it's uh, we're sitting around talking. Let's talk about the, the work down there in Venezuela and, of course, how crazy it is down there. And I thought, wait a minute. You just got through saying how crazy it is, how dangerous it is down there. You know what they said? But we can't wait to go back. I thought, huh? People, they've been shot at. I'm thinking, why would anyone want to go back down there? Because they love the work they're doing. And they love the Lord they're doing it for. They're waiting to go back. I mean, they can't wait to get back. I believe, he said, February, that's hoping to go back down there. Have you read the newspapers lately? Venezuela is chaotic. You think America's crazy. That's nuts down there. They've been shot at. They have to hide sometime behind big walls of the compound they're in. Why would anybody want to go back? That's why God didn't call me to be a missionary. <laughs> I like these safe walls we've got here. But what I'm saying is we need that missionary zeal that they have, that other missionaries have, that they don't care about the dangers. Oh, sure, they're conscious of it, but they want to go back and do the work that God's called them to do. That's amazing to me. But then God didn't call me to be a missionary. God called me to be here and live with these deacons and put up with them. That's, that's scary enough. But it, anyway, but it's, anyway, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. We need to renew our missionary zeal as a church. Not only to foreign missions, but to commit to reaching out to our neighbors right next door and around us. Just as each one of us that claim the, Christ, the name of Christians have been rescued from the doors of hell itself, we now need to become the rescuers and go out into the waters of the world, pull them out one by one for, to safety in the family of God. They go down in Venezuela and go back in the hill country and the mountains and things. that I mean, I can't even imagine what's down there, let alone trying to find people. 
But yet we're called to go outside here and knock on doors. And, oh, no, that's too dangerous for me. We may not say that, but that's what we're saying. Pull them safely to, back to God. We must be a church that has as a main focus reaching people for Jesus Christ. The last thing, real quickly, we need to remember that Jesus Christ is coming back one day. The Bible teaches us that Christ is going to come back again. Now, do you know that a, a lot of Christian people don't believe that? Oh, I've heard that all my life. I, I just don't believe it's going to happen. A lot of church members don't live their lives like they really believe that statement. But this ought to be the incentive to cause us to give Him our best. If we realize that He might come at any minute, and I believe He could come at any minute from right now, if we believe that, if we realize that, that He may come at any minute, then we must give Him an account of our lives that are certain things we should be doing. What are those things? We should be living more consecrated Christian lives. We should seek a deeper and more meaningful devotional life for each one of us. We should seek to have the right concept of whose church this really is. It's not our church, folks. This is the church that Jesus died for. And we should pray for revival of personal soul winning and worldwide mission efforts to sweep this area like it's never been swept before. When we look back at all that Christ has done for us on the cross, we should be motivated to be more faithful to Christ and His church. As we look ahead at the future, as we think that one day it may not be too far in advance that Jesus Christ actually comes back just as He said He will, I want to ask you to be more faithful in all things and all ways to Christ and His church. Will you do that? For some of you here today, God's been waiting on you to respond to something. Maybe He's calling in your life to be a Sunday school teacher. Maybe He's calling you to sing in this group up here, our praise team, choir, whatever they are. Maybe He's calling that. Whatever it is. You say, well, that's just a small thing. But that small thing can make a difference. Maybe God's calling you to do some work around the church that you've never done before. Fill in a Sunday school class. Teach on Sunday nights. Hey, I'd gladly let you teach Revelations on Wednesday nights coming up. Whatever God's calling you to, would you make a commitment this morning that I am going to be the Christian that God wants me to be? Will you come back to Him? Maybe you're one of those Christians that just got away from God. Will you come back to him today? Let's stand together. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us. Oh, we thank you for this day that we can be here. And, Lord, it is a, we have a beautiful family here. We may not be large in number, but, Lord, I believe that every one in our, member of our church wants to see this church go forward and make a difference in our community for you. And, Lord, if that's not our desire, then put that desire in every one of us, that we would begin to find ways to reach out, that we would look for ideals that we can do and try to bring new couples, young couples, teenagers, kids in, just whatever it may be, that this can be the church that you want it to be. But, Lord, don't let us sit around on our hands and do nothing while Copper Cove goes to hell. Lord, burden us. Break us if necessary. 
Bring us to where you want us to be. Lord, use this invitation. If there be anyone here today that does not know you, that's the first and the greatest decision they'll ever make. Maybe there's somebody here that does know you, but they just they just got out of the will of God. Now they're just not serving in any capacity. They're not doing what you'd have them to do, whatever it may be. Lord, today is the day to come back to you. Lord, whatever the need, maybe there's just some that are burdened that I need to do this. I need to be more involved. Lord, this altars, these steps will be used as an altar. And Lord, I wouldn't mind if the whole thing was covered from floor to floor. Lord, burden us to have a burden like you have for our church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.